All right, we're moving on. A little review over part seven. Um, I'm going to try to get through part eight. We might have a little more time. I don't know. We'll just have to see. Um, however, the next two Sundays, which is going to be Christmas Day and then uh, New Year's Day, or we're going to celebrate on that eighth day after Christmas, the circumcision of our Lord and, and his naming. Uh, the next two Sundays, I'm going to uh, take a break. We're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 on the next two Sundays for adult Bible class. Um, then we'll come back and, and finish up uh, with the history moving into the history uh, regarding the hymnals. Um, and that was what uh, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to go through this survey of American uh, of, of the Lutheran Church in North America so that when we come back to the hymnals and the progression of what's happened with the liturgy and hymnody and things of that sort, uh, you might better understand uh, why uh, American Lutheranism did what they did. So we'll be coming back to that, but uh, the next two Sundays we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, which kind of fits into the Christmas season. It's the nativity of our Lord as it is uh, described by Luke. So we'll take a look at that. All right, last time we took a look at part uh, seven. Uh, we took a look at uh, the change beginning with 1962. That is, that's when it was uh, seen that there had been quite a few changes going on. We saw that the replacement due to... Uh, the organization or the political changes that had gone on uh, had brought in a, we'll call him a progressive, Oliver Harms, um, uh, to the Missouri Senate, um, and, and the changes that went on. I did put here in red simply because I kind of mentioned it, but uh, it's a change that's not on your sheet. Um Back in 1962, a man named Herman Otten uh, began to publish something called Lutheran News. It was later uh, changed to the term Christian News. Uh, he continued to publish this, though so, uh, he himself, I think, till 20, I don't know if it was but 16, I think, or something. He died in 2019. Someone else has, has taken it over. Um, this particular magazine uh, newspaper that it was, for a time it was sent out uh, free uh, to list and all, uh, he was uh, loved and hated by everybody. <laughs> okay. Um, there were those who, um, uh, uh, he was the one speaking up already in 1958, even in 1962, concerning all the problems that were going on at the seminary, which were not taken care of until 1974 with Seminex. Um, I have got somewhere a four-volume, I think I have it out, um, that uh, they went ahead and put together. It's like this thick of all of the publications that he put forward. Um uh, the liberals hated him because he exposed the stuff that was going on at the time. Uh, the conservatives hated him because he pointed out 
the liberal things they were doing. Um, and politically, they liked to use him. Um, uh, there's a quote, oh, I can't remember the guy uh, that Schmidt, I think it was Schmidt was his name. There's a quote from him that pretty well sum, sums it up, um, in which he says, Not everything you read in Lutheran news is true, but you can repeat it. <laughs> and it was. Um, you know, um, I can tell you that when I was at the seminary, it was set out on the table. You could pick it up. Um, uh, all of the uh, all of the periodicals that were there were picked up. You never saw anybody read it. You read it at home, where nobody saw you. Um, publicly, nobody read it. Privately, everybody read it. Um, so anyway, just to kind of mention in passing, um, he also is, in connection with this, because of his stand against these things, he was never certified. Though he was given an MDiv, though he was given a uh, Master's of Sacred Theology, an SDM, um, he wanted to stay around and become a doctorate. They wouldn't allow him to. They denied him certification. Um, that is, uh, no one was supposed to place him in their congregations because of that. And it was a... And and he spent the entire bit of his life trying to get certification so that he could become... He was actually never in the Missouri Senate, but he did more for the Missouri Senate than anyone else. How did he make a living? Um, he was actually called to Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, and he was their pastor for this amount of time. Um, and uh, I, so, uh, th though officially, he was never approved. You know, I told you that I had joined the Lutheran Church when this was all flaring up. This was the first thing that when I was, you know, everybody was talking about this at the time. And the other day I was going through some things and I found a pamphlet that I guess when I joined, my pastor gave me to bring me up to speed on what was going on. And it was published by Christian News on the walkout. And, it, and I think there's, if I remember correctly, on the front of it is a picture of them, of them all standing outside in protest. And I believe they had white crosses planted. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. You, yes. So, so in, in typical... English style, you know, there's a quadrangle of, of buildings all around and a grassy thing in the middle. Um, they had put up white crosses uh, for the, the death of the seminary and all of the things. And, you know, I mean, so yeah, yeah it was so the anyway, big I was reading back that media event. Okay, so that gives you just a little bit. Again, we've gone through uh, all the way through what happened with the seminary and with the walkout. Um, as well as then uh, those who left, as we saw there were out of the uh, 50 that were professors at the seminary, 45 of them, uh, there were only five that, that remained, 45 that walked out, um, ended up leaving, they ended up forming uh, a new group uh, called the AELC, the Association of Evangelical Lutheran Churches. Um, we saw that uh, uh, it was approximately 250 congregations, maybe 100,000 uh, members that formed this new church body. Uh, 
I also explained about how uh, this had a direct effect, even as we saw in the Southern Illinois District, as well as congregations that left, things of this sort. Um, a couple things with this. One is to remind you, and again, the, the particulars um, simply serve the larger picture. And what is the larger picture? The larger picture as it results to this is what brought this on? What were the, the movements, the things that were dealing with this? Um, there was the denial of the inspiration of scripture, which manifested itself in the historical critical method. And so you had uh, um, looking at the Bible and not being able to trust it and denying the things in it. You had uh, the uh, missions that were, uh, we're, we're concerned about numbers, we're concerned about missions. Um, I think that was more, not so much a cause, but an effect. But after you got into it, then it, it was a cause of all kinds of mischief uh, that went with it. You had the uh, working with other groups um, in externals as well as fellowship kind of issues uh, which served to uh, weaken uh, whenever you have that kind of syncretistic activity in which those who do not degree in doctrine and practice work together, um, it always uh, waters down the faith. And the, the last was the ecumenical movement. That is, this idea that we all needed to be united, we all needed to come together, there needed to be uh, um, na not more than national, need to be uh, throughout the world, and we would all be united. And so this idea of trying to get back together, um, that we all ought to be together, um, that was having a, a great effect on all of these things. Again, there are some that would say already by 1930 that... that Things had changed. Definitely by 62, you saw. We saw with this um, the uh, ALC going into fellowship with them, and then the fellowship itself not being terminated until 1981. Uh, we'll be coming back um, at, at, at that point. I'm going to say that most of what I need to teach you about hymnals and things of that sort are pretty well... By about 1981, maybe 1990 or so, everything is pretty well in place. I could probably stop, but since I've kind of gone through up to this point, I ought to give you the rest of the story and bring you up to it. We'll do that after Christmas, after the new year, and we'll add some things in. I think it's also going to be helpful, since we're going to be doing that, to make a quick review of, okay, what about our congregation? How did we get where we are? We're going to we're going to bang some of those things out. Um, so that that's kind of where we're going. We're going to take a break, though. We're going to take a look at uh, the ELCA and and that next. Brian? When these professors all walked out, how did they support themselves? Was this all really coordinated up front, and then all these congregations that left were sending them support? I mean, that had to be pretty well... That was the biggest thing when we left Missouri as all pastors would say, oh, my congregational fire me. They were all worried about their support and their, their, their living and all these. And we just had all these college professors just walk out of the seminary. I may be able to get to the bigger question, which is exactly what you're going to. The smaller question re referring to these who left and walked out. 
it may have seemed to be a, a spontaneous event. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it wasn't. And once Tijan, who was the seminary president, walked out with the 45 and they left, as well as, you know, quite a few seminarians, most of them left with them as well. Um, two other seminary professors, Eden Seminary and, I don't remember, the Roman Catholic Seminary, their professors were there waiting to take them in. And so, they then started up their seminary at Eden Seminary, which had said to you, oh, well, do you need a place to start? Come on over. We, you know, we, we support you. You're doing all, you know, you're not doing anything wrong. And so, um, yeah, they, they were up and running. And within a year and a half, uh, they were up in Chicago. They were connected with others. They started their own. And pretty soon they were into, and we're going to see with the ELCA. So um, what happened, you know, for them, yeah, uh, no, it was, uh, that wasn't a problem. I will, and I'll get to that later, um, Tijan said that he expected 1,200 congregations and their pastors to go with him. And after the walkout and after things cleared out, when they realized that they were going to get... 200, 250, um, he, w- he was mad. Because <laughs> he had faith. The real question for us becomes, <clears throat> what about those who were sympathetic, and what about those who, you know, the 800 pastors or so that agreed but wouldn't leave and didn't? Um, and so that there is a, you know, big picture of what is going on where I said, listen, you didn't really deal with it. And so, I'm not going to get to that today, but when we come back to take a look at what happens after 1981, you can see quite clearly um, that uh, that became entrenched and it's it's still there. So So basically, these pastors walked out. They were not pushed out by the remaining Missouri Senate. They, they walked out on the... Technically, the Senate finally at the convention prior to that said, yes, you can do this. They did move forward and told them that uh, because... And, and So here's the thing. Did they fire them? Yes. Because of the historical critical method... No, because they wouldn't return to the classroom and teach. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, you know, it's similar to, you know, when the mob gets caught, you know, they put him in jail for mail fraud or something. I mean, it's not the real thing. So did you actually, you know, it, the question is, is did you deal with it? So they, they basically technically fired them before they did the walkout. Technically, that's true. Um they make a big deal about it, but yeah. yes. I have a question going back to my former congregation in West Frankfort. If Pastor Easterhouse, who is now Pastor Woods, so I could say this, but anyway, yes. if he was our pastor and he was involved in the Seminex movement, and that was before I came, 
Um, new neighbor who was the Southern Illinois District President was sympathetic to Seminex, and he went ahead and placed Seminex graduates. And then he was the test case for what are you going to do about this? Um, and I, it's it's a similar one of these things where uh, they complained and complained and complained for years, and finally they're they're came a little more pressure, and finally New Neighbor resigned. So it, it's, it's crazy. With every one of these kind of things, you seldom find someone who, is, who finally gets kicked out. They usually just get tired of being gummed to death. <laughs> we ended up having to take the vote whether we stayed in the Senate or he had to leave, and we stayed with the Senate. And he did. And he then said, okay, I mean, yeah. Um, I don't know how many years he was there. He was there when I came over here in 77. That's right, right. And what's interesting is that this congregation, not only, um, I don't remember all the names of them, but uh, Marion here was Frankfurt, they would have these big joint services. Now, at the time, ALC was in fellowship with us until 1981. So I don't know that there was any thing inappropriate about that, but but they oh yeah, it it was full blown. Well once Seminex happened, you know, that poured off, we had a pastor leave, you had I mean, it yeah, it was quite involved. It seems like the time frame on these I don't know if it's if it, if it's the proper time frame for dealing with stuff, but mm-hmm. as you were pointing out, it's by the time they deal with an issue or kind of deal with it it's happened for several years, and it's already they've already appointed so many people already. So even if that person left, what they've done still there, and that wasn't addressed. Um, was that was it? Were they taking it slow, or was it just that's the normal time frame for that kind of stuff? Right. Um, I do think I, I, I think that's a, a fabulous question, and I don't think that. We want to be knee-jerk and, and deal with things too quickly. Obviously, things take time to explain, to work through, to try to call the repentance to do. Uh, um, absolutely. When there is a problem and 25 years later the guy resigns and you say we're dealing with it, I, I, I'm sorry, that's just not... Going, you know, if we're talking about now, if we're talking about individuals, you're, you're probably looking at one to two years to, to to work through to figure out. Obviously, there needs to be things happen. You know, I would think one, but I'm I'm, I'm going to be willing. The thing when it comes to Senate, here's the problem: the Senate only meets in convention every three years. You would expect those who are given the authority, the ones who are district presidents, Senator Brown, whatever, that they would take care of things. But if it is an issue in which you say, what does Senate say about this? Senate only talks every three years. So if you want to say, what does Senate say about this particular issue, you're going to have to wait. Um, now, you can still, you know, things can happen, but... That's the point. And that's why for us, when 
Kieschnick was elected, and soon after that, I mean, within months afterwards, he does this Yankee Stadium unionism and does all this crazy stuff. We had to wait two and a half years for Senate to respond to it, and Senate said, oh yeah, what he did is fine and good. And that's when we had to object and wait three more years for Senate to deal with our objection and say, oh, Senate's now spoken. You know, up until that point, Senate hadn't spoken. So you can't actually say, you know, there's individual speaking, but we didn't know. Once Senate spoke, we had to wait three more years before we could have, say, listen, do you want to change your mind on this? Because what Senate decided was wrong. And three more years later, they said, no, it's right. So there is a sense in which things take longer, but individually, <coughs> no, that's just crazy, that, that, that amount of time. I guess follow up on that then, in Eldona then, our diocese meets once a year. Is that not necessarily a response to not meeting enough in the Senate, or is it a way that we can quicker deal with objections that arise? Um... I don't think that, uh, I like the way you're thinking. I don't think that that has any effect on Eldona. And the reason why is that um, those things are not taken care of at the yearly convention. Like Missouri, because you have pastors and laymen both members, and you, you kind of have to wait for that kind of thing to act. Uh, because that's not the case, um, most of our we have had issues we you know in which we had uh, a pastor removed for infant communion early on. We had a pastor removed for leaving his wife. We have had doctrinal issues that we have had to uh, uh, one dealing with justification. Um, we have had I mean those things all get taken care of, you know, and and it it doesn't drag on for years. Well, it's an ongoing thing. Right. I I mean, um, and and there's a process that needs to be followed. You know, I mean, it's not going to be 30 days, but but, uh, did you? Yeah. You know, so we had all these professors walk out. How many of the seminary, when the seminary was, when they were back in class and, and things were starting to become, I guess, normal again, as normal as it would be, did they address anything inappropriate that was being taught to those students by those professors. Otherwise, we have, well, and we do, how many pastors do we have in the Missouri Synod who have incorrect beliefs because of what they were taught by these inappropriate professors? Correct. Um, I do I, I do know that it was after they came back again, you had about 40, 400 Seminarians, you probably had 60 after they all left. Um, within a couple of years, you pretty well were back up to, to 300 or something. You know, pretty good numbers, um, and and those kind of things. Did they change? Yes. Is historical critical method taught in Missouri? Absolutely not. It is. It is that is being you know no. And so every seminarian that comes in is taught. Here's the two methods. This is whatever we do not use that. And so. Did they deal with those things? Yes. Um, I just don't think that's the whole picture. The rot's still there. So yeah, if you had... Boiling under the yeah. So here's the bigger picture. Uh, one, you have the congregations that stayed. 
two, you have 400 pastors being a seminarians graduating, or, or somewhere in that, maybe 300, every year between uh, 69 and 81 that are going out into the parishes. You have, you know what I mean? Receiving. That, that is what you look at and kind of go, wait a minute. Now, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you just, just I, you know, a, a little bit more to that, um, which, which we'll get to later. When I came out and got involved with the politicalness of the conservatives, um, we were always taught concerning, you know, uh, the young guy comes out and says, hey, this is the problem. Yeah, let's deal with it. And then it's not being dealt with. And then they finally comfort you with, you know, don't worry. You know, we're slowly taking back the Senate. Don't worry. And the, and the analogy is it takes a long time to turn a big ship. And the last thing they said is, these guys are all dying off. <laughs> that I mean, I did. I'm dead serious. Now, um, I did. I I did take a look at if between 1969 and 1981, um, in between those years, um, if you went through high school and were graduated, you know, in in uh, in eight. At age 18, you graduated from college um, at 21, and you graduated from seminary at 26. Um, now, if you go straight through, I went straight through, that's about what happens. If that happens, those who were 26 in 1969, 46 years later, they would now be, uh, it would be... Uh, 2015. Um, why did I put that? Because that would put them at age 72. Retirement age for them was 2015. Those who, uh, in 1981, will be retirement age 72 in 2027. So have some of them passed away. I, I would imagine, or have they ceased to be? Yes, but I will tell you that they are in positions of authority, and especially in the church, normally you see, you know, you're, you're not in great positions of power at age 50. It's usually about age 60, 70, that, that those things. So, um, add to that, that... It's not simply a matter of, oh, this was trained, that was training, and now that's done, and now we, we've had good stuff since then. They're, in addition to having political liberal papers and, and groups, they've set up their own education in which uh, there's a group called Pastoral Leadership Institute, PLI, for the liberals, that... Uh, they get pastors out and they say, oh, come to our conference now. Um, and you come to our conference for two to three weeks, three or four times a year, and we'll teach you how to be missional and we'll teach you how to. And so um, that's not the only place. There is still being taught the bad stuff and it's ongoing 
and it's still, you know, you get new guys come out, and they're pushed into the new ones, and it is still going on. Um, I got to get... It's just maybe a coincidence, but looking back, you know, listening to what you're saying, looking back, now I'd say starting in the 80s, the sermon techniques have changed, and they've become changed more and more to where they're less focused on the word, less mm-hmm. biblical and more societal. That's a word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's finally just got to the point where, like, they and I just weren't getting what we needed. Right. Yeah. Right. And and if it's slow enough, you don't notice. Um, but you know, every now and then, you you go to someone and you kind of go, wait a minute, that guy had six stories and three jokes and I. Did he talk about the text? You know, it was a lot of fun, and he's very interesting. But did they mention Jesus? <laughs> Some other things, yeah. These are the ones who are sowing the weed seeds rather than the good seeds. Right. And so it's not being stopped. That's my that's my point. When you look at it, you kind of go, "It's we're not dying off, and we're not overcoming. If, if that was the case, that would be great. There's too much evidence that shows that that's not the case. And so many of these pastors are coming out they've been trained to be a pastor, they're expecting that they're going to be able to study the Word throughout the day and throughout the week and remain in their studies, but they're not. They're coming out and suddenly they're a business manager. They're having to run these large churches and they're not spending time in the Word. They're not you know, digging a little deeper, learning, going back and learning things that they should have been taught. And that's, that's what's happening. I mean, we went on that church tour and there were several churches that told us, yeah, our pastor's retired, but we can't get anybody. And so, you know, our pastor got tired of the business side of things, and, but he's still preaching every week. We're not, we're not teaching people correctly. And it's throughout our congregations. I, I do think that, that that what you involve yourself in and what you see yourself as mm-hmm. does make a change make a big difference into how you conduct your ministry and what you do. I, I see the pastors that have come into St. John's up in Chester, and not only are they the pastor of a very large congregation, they're also supposed to be overseeing a school. And, and it's, it's too much. Right. They're not. You know they don't have time to study. They're barely getting a sermon written, if that. Hmm. When all these changes are going on, also then um, our older generation was was told that you need to um, for the for the sake of the youth, you need to change the times, you know, in order to keep our youth. And so I can remember my grandmother saying, "Oh yeah, well we do this now, and and I'm just older, and you know, and, it, it, and I'm okay with it now, and I'm getting used to it, um, and." They were told you had to give up so much of what you were taught um, for the sake of the church. And that was a lie, I think, that they were told. That's kind of sad, that the And that is one of societies. I mean, we, we are told that um, someone with gray hair, um, yeah, no, what, what you really need is a young guy. Um, you know, you need a young guy that's got brown hair and, you know, and... and, and um, that's what you, know, you you don't value those with wisdom. You don't value you only value youth. 
right? You, you have to be young and pretty, and you have to be, you know, all of that is, is, is in the church as well. Um, and so, yes, absolutely, I've, I've watched, you're right, uh, um, older people that kind of go, well, yeah, I don't really like contemporary worship, but, you know, or you hear them, you know, saying, well, this is the new way, this is the way that you do it. And you go, I Question? Um, yeah, it's long past when I wanted to ask about it, but I, I, I don't know if it, or Karen's words kind of brought it back to mind to me, is in all of this stuff about all of these changes and all of these groups that you've been uh, teaching us about, what is the main goal of, is it, among sinful people trying to put forth their ideas and getting other people to support them in it or the thing that seems right to me is and what Jesus would say is what is good for the people what what brings um, the word to the hearts and minds of people and accurately, purely, the pure word, because it, it just seems so darn political as to be harmful to the whole goal of Christianity, which is to save souls, I think. Can I answer that question? Um. Probably you probably can't, but we're gonna let because <laughs> that was a big question. Yes, go ahead. The, the first thing you have to remember about this, and, and as soon as I say this, it's, it's going to dawn on everybody that that's exactly what's going on. The first thing that you have to understand about this is that back in the early 1900s in society. The desire was to destroy the scriptures. That began in Missouri Senate in the 40s with the, the historical critical method going into the St. Louis Seminary. That was the purpose of that. Because if in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples. And how does he tell the church to do that? baptizing and teaching them everything I have commanded you. Okay. So, what happens in historical criticism? They take that away. Because Jesus never said anything. So, what does the church do? Make it up. What do you mean he never said anything? That's what they said. The historical critical method says Jesus didn't say anything. <laughs> they and don't know it, how to read. You, you, you just figure it out. Which words did? Which words in the scriptures did Jesus really say? All the red ones. It's up to me to figure that out. You see, and if you have people in a seminary basically saying that that's the way to go. Then where, where, what have you got? What nothing? You go into the you focus zero. on missions. And what is missions if you don't have the word? I don't know. I don't understand. 
and it's what teaching people to enjoy worship. It sounds just plain like just plain evil to me what you're describing. Because what would be the purpose for taking away God's word? Would be only satanic purposes that doesn't do people any good. It, you know, and, and I, I what, what Mary, was always talking to me about this is that I just didn't get it. Mary, that the world think about this. What is the world telling the church? Yeah, that you're, you you're have nothing. no you're message. Yeah, you're useless. You here. have no message. Why is it doing that? I don't understand. Why that. is it always done that? So they can have power, I suppose. I don't know. What did what did Satan say to what did Satan say to Eve in the garden? Did he really did say God that? Did God really say? Yes. And what was his answer? No. And what was her answer? Uh, she no. Didn't know. She didn't know. She wasn't That's sure. the natural position of man. God didn't say anything. Okay. That's our that's our default. Every one of us believe that. And it's only working through the word that the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, you're wrong. See, we can worry about all the stuff that's going on in the world today, the government, whatever you want to worry about. Mm -hmm. But we don't know anything. We don't know anything. A little earlier I asked the question, What's the national debt of the United States? Mm -hmm. Somebody said 29 million. Well, what is it really? We don't know. Really? We have no idea. How are we going to fix it? No. If we don't know the answer to the question, how can we fix the problem? So what Leanne had to say is especially important. If a pastor doesn't have time Bingo. to be in the Word, how can he teach his people That's to right. remain in the Word? That's right. Because if if the if the words don't mean it, if the word doesn't mean anything to the pastor, if he doesn't have time to to teach it or to study it, how is he going to teach it? Thank you. So the chicken and the egg. <laughs> so you, you understand they go together, but we also understand that they're different, mm -hmm. right? One causes the other. Mm -hmm. um, that being the case, the when you contrast God's working with the devil's working, uh, the devil has an advantage. Okay, mm -hmm. and here's what the distinction is for. God, who gives us this word, who teaches us the church and what is important, and he says what's important is the saving of your souls, you are a sinner, you need the forgiveness of sins, it comes through the church, it comes through word and sacrament, you know, the, the chicken and the egg there is the word and sacrament create faith which saves your soul, you know, that, that's the, what God says. The devil has the advantage because everything that's not that... He can go about. If he wants to have the church become about feeling good, you know, we can do it through happy, clappy music and we do whatever. If the devil wants to have it to be a matter of social justice in the world and the church exists to 
change the world and make it better? The devil goes, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, if you would like to make it about psychology and about, you know, that, that, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. The problem is, is that as long as you're not doing this, the devil's good with that. You, you know, you, you can do any of those things. Now, the question, you know, when you ask me, you kind of say, well, you know, well, why are they doing that stuff? Well, the reason that we're doing that stuff is because of social justice. The reason we're doing the, the entertainment and whatever is because we want to make people happy. The reason we're doing for the, you know, there's always the chicken and egg. There's always a, a reason. But if you, you've left behind the instrumentality of the word in the sacrament, which, which does that, um, that's what's so difficult. The, and, and you know, we can talk about it in these terms of our former association. But the Methodists are dealing with this. Their church is being torn apart. Um, I, I'm not going to get to much today. You know, ELCA, we can see what happened there. You can take a look at it. There is no church. This has, I mean, the, you know, what they say, the flood rises all the ships. You know, every, sh- every church has dealt with this. Um, every church, and all of them, you know, I, I, there, there's not much left. There's not much left. That's just the way it is. Um, and so I think that, though, though, you know, you kind of go, well, which comes first? You know, well, for some, uh, um, I'm bored with the word, so I'm going to start teaching psychology, and then that takes away your faith and puts it into that. But for other people, you know, it's the other way around, um, I, that's the problem. I, 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 I Pastor is right. Those, those are the things that have that have changed things. We don't always notice it. It's kind of like there's only two religions: the true religion <laughs> and everything else. Yep. Right. The. Matter the name. Um. So I can get through the entire back of this. Kidding. Um, and, and this has been very good. Um, not what I intended, but it's been very good. I wondered last time because I, I presented it, but we didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of go through it. Um, my point with this is the back page of your uh, goldenrod sheet, we'll get to that after Christmas, after New Year's, uh, but is going to go through, we'll take a side and kind of go, okay, let's, let's set Missouri aside. Let's take a look at the LCA, the ALC, and then this group of the EAELC that left Missouri with the walkout and things of that sort, and see how are they doing. Um, what's going on with, with, with them? Um, I've already set the stage for it, um, and the stage that, that we set was, there was a point at which there was doctrine and practice. Um, Missouri tried to hold to that. ALC said, well, as long as you get it on paper, we're, that's good enough. The LCA long ago said, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, what we're going to find is that all of those groups that came together, the least common denominator is what was left. As soon as you start to mark off or say it doesn't matter that is that full agreement and doctrine and practice as long as you do anything other than that you have already got a chip in the dam now it it will grow 
At this point, the dam's not breaking. It's just a trickle, but it will. And the next thing is, you will find that it's not arithmetic. All right. Arithmetic is one plus one is one, one plus one is one. It's it's just, it's it's pretty simple. See, here's here's arithmetic. Think think. I was going to do a diagram. I just haven't done. Goes like this. Goes like that's arithmetic. Geometric is it goes like this. Little 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 little, and it goes up. That's the way it always works. There are little changes, and everybody goes, it's little. It's not that big a deal. And at some point. Because of its, it's not one plus one plus, you know, not two plus two plus two. It's two times two times two times two times two. And that makes the thing go up. And at some point you kind of go, whoa, what happened? That is ELCA. Where you look at this and kind of go, wait a minute. They were Lutheran. And now they're not even Christian. Yeah. And you go, whoa, whoa, what, what, what happened to my church? Um. That is what we see. And so when your pastor is telling you, be careful of these little things right here, and you go, oh, you are so nitpicky. You know, it's because we see what what happens. We see what's left. Um, and so, you know, are, are you past that point where, where, you, where you can't get back? I don't know. Um, you know, that's not for me to judge. Anyway, I'm out of time. Thanks for that. We'll come back to uh, this goldenrod sheet with part 8. Um, maybe January 8th, but for at least two Sundays, we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Don't forget the what do you want to know? We didn't do this sheet yet, did we? No. Uh, we did not. Okay. No, we did not. We're going to come back to I that. You're, you're correct. Um, I did have another white sheet for you. It says the micro sentence and LCMS descent. Um, I'm going to do that one in connection with that when we get back. Don't forget your bullet. And take your bulletin upstairs when you're done. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, only you can keep us in the truth. Uh, we ask, dear Lord, uh, that you would uh, continue to uh, uh, turn us away from falsehood. Uh, that you would create in us that uh, heart which loves the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.